Welcome to Downtown Harbor Church. My name is Adam. I am the volunteer coordinator here at DHC. Uh, maybe I haven't met you yet, but I'd love to just say hi on the way out. Um, and, and thanks so much for being here. By the way, on Time Change Sunday, no, nonetheless, look at, you know, you've made it here and on time, most of you. And so I would just like to say thank you for that. So yeah, I mean, wow, what a big round of applause for those achievements, you guys. That's great. Thanks so much. We're here talking about Elijah week four, and John called me. John's our lead pastor. If it's your first Sunday here and you've never heard of him, he's our lead pastor. We'd like to have some fun back and forth a little bit, but John called me a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, I would really like you to wrap up the Elijah series, and I said, why? I said, interestingly enough, I said, I don't know that I've preached on Elijah, maybe ever. I said, why, why do you want me to wrap it up? And he said, well, it's the most difficult message of the series, in my opinion, and so I think you should do it, to which I said no, and he got on a plane and made me do it anyway. So uh, I'm wrapping it up today, and I just want to give you a little bit of a disclaimer. Today's message is maybe, maybe one of the most powerful we've ever preached at Downtown Harbor Church. I don't know that it's like good or anything. I just feel like it's so powerful for people right where they're at, and I think it's so important for us to sit back and understand some of these things together as a community of people just walking through life together. So stay with me on this. So uh, John has been talking about Elijah for a number of weeks. I'm going to review a few minor details. If you want to catch up in more detail and follow up on this series, you can go back into our message archive series online. But let's dive in. So there was this kind of false god named Baal. And so what, would ha what was happening is, is that people were actually beginning to worship Baal and he was getting some notoriety. And God kind of anointed the prophet Elijah, which is who we're talking about, to kind of uh, help on the other side of that to make sure that that didn't go any further. And so Elijah, over the course of time in this journey, and there's so many details I'm leaving out, so catch up and dive in yourself. But Elijah, in this uh, journey that we're talking about, he actually destroyed the prophets of Baal. And so there were 450 prophets in the Old Testament that kind of were Baal prophets, this false god prophets, Elijah the prophet of the one true God, and Elijah slaughtered them. There were 450 of them. A little bit graphic here to start the message. I apologize, but we are in the Old Testament where things tend to get a little graphic at times. And so Elijah actually wiped out 450 prophets of Baal. And, and basically what God had said to him was, is that much like, like a cancer living in our body, if these prophets continue to go and multiply, that they're going to spread the message of Baal. And he's a false god, not the true god. So he had to take them all out, gone. And then sure enough, um, Elijah was, uh, as he had prayed for the rain to stop for a period of time in the land, he actually prayed for the rain to come back. And what happened was, there's two other people here, again, so many other details that you need to uh, look up here and go back and listen to here, but we're not going to go into them today. But what happened was at this point, King Ahab, because the rain was coming back, went back to Queen Jezebel at the time. Now, some of you may have heard of this name before, Jezebel. Jezebel was the queen, and, and maybe even you've heard of this name in culture, and it wasn't even in reference to the Bible. You may have heard somebody called a Jezebel, or you may have heard the name used, maybe in a derogatory way. Uh, this is who this person or the, those slogans are describing, Queen Jezebel. And so if you're like me, whenever you dive into a historical topic, I always like to look up pictures. I don't know if that's something you like to 
do, but I like to do it. And so, uh, so I, I Googled Queen Jezebel historical image because I wanted some context for who this person was. And sure enough, here was the photo that I found. And so it's interestingly enough, like I've, I love that she was looking into a mirror. It kind of just describes her personality because what we discover is, is that in this chain of events through the life of Elijah with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel, that Jezebel was kind of like the madman behind the scenes, like running things. She was the one who brought the worship of Baal to Ahab, the false god. She was kind of manipulating things. It's like if you're watching a show on Netflix or Hulu or Peacock or Paramount Plus or Discovery Plus or whatever else you all pay for because I know you got them all. Like it, it, whatever, whatever you're diving into and then you get to the like 11th out of 12th episode and they've been leading you down a path and you're like, oh, that person's the villain. That person's the bad guy. And then somebody's on a cell phone like behind 7-Eleven making the phone call and it's, that's Jezebel. Like that's what she's doing. She's like the mastermind behind the scenes of the entire situation. So what happened was Ahab, after these events, returned to Jezebel to tell her what happened. That's where we pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 5. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open it. If you want to follow along on your phone, you can do that. If not, no problem at Downtown Harbor Church. The scripture is always on our screen. So 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 5. Now Ahab told Jezebel... Everything Elijah, remember the guy who's the, you know, the context for the entire series, the prophet of God. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, really important, Jezebel sends a messenger to go see Elijah and says this, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like that of one of them. So you may just be listening and sitting back and trying to soak in all the details. Let me, let me read this again so that you can understand it. And then I'm going to kind of put it into modern language for you. Ready? Let me, let me maybe read it in a different way. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Eliah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely. By if this if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Here's what she really meant. If I don't kill you within 24 hours, I'll be ready to kill myself. Meaning she was not happy. She was not a happy camper. I haven't really ever met a happy camper, but she was definitely not one in that moment. Who would be happy camping regardless? What I'm saying is, is that Jezebel was not one of these individuals who at that moment was probably very pleasant to be around. She basically said, go tell Elijah, if I'm de not dead tomorrow, he will be, right? If I don't kill him within 24 hours, I'll be ready to kill myself. So Elijah, even after all he had been through and all the chain of events that John's talked about in the last three weeks, one of the major prophets of God in the Old Testament, the Bible talks about that something happened in this moment when Elijah heard that Jezebel was after him and wanted to kill him. Here's what it said. It said, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Really? Elijah, the guy who did all the things that we've chatted about and, and all like just slaughtered the prophets, he was afraid? When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. It goes on while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. 
he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestor. Elijah got scared, ran off into the wilderness under a bush, a tree, and said, God, kill me? And, and, and then he goes down, and the scripture goes on to say, then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep. This doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I mean, Elijah was this powerful prophet of God, victory after victory, and now all of a sudden he is vulnerable to the point that he goes and runs into the woods and asks God to kill him? What happened here? How did this little one little thing that Jezebel was going to do actually send him off the deep end? What happened here? Well, we actually have done a lot of research on this. And what historians tell us and what we've you know, kind of leaned into our own understanding of this situation is that something happened to Elijah in this moment. Now, as we walk through this in the next few minutes together, I think it's important for every single person to understand in this room that God is not only giving this example of Elijah as a prophet for us to learn from, these things are actually pointed right at us for a reason. Because in this moment, we actually understand and believe that Elijah actually fell into a depression. That he actually fell into a situation where he was depressed. He, he didn't know what to do next. He was scared out of his mind. He allowed all of those things to become a cycle in his life of negative thinking and being fearful, and it led him into a depression. Well, when you think about it, if you think about Elijah, maybe you think about your own life. Maybe you've dealt with this. Maybe you haven't dealt with this. Maybe you will deal with this in the future. Maybe you know somebody who's dealing with this. If you think about our own life and we think about how we've gone through emotional struggles at times, sure, Elijah was probably a prime candidate for depression. I mean, look at all these emotions that we've talked about of him dealing with related to what he's going through, fear, resentment, guilt, anger, loneliness, worry, because he's done some crazy stuff. And Elijah, if you're dealing with these things like he was and he was experiencing these things, depression, anxiety, this mental thing that goes on in us could actually begin to affect us. In fact, the book of James talks about Elijah. John's put this verse up for a number of weeks now, so we're going to do it one more time. James 5.17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Then we talked about it earlier. The rain came back. So Elijah was a human being, flesh and blood, like me and like you. So we start to ask ourselves this question. At least I started to ask myself this question. Elijah, this major prophet of God, how did Elijah get here? How did we get to a point in our story with him where he ran off into the woods, hid under a tree, bush, whatever you want to call it, and asked God to die? How did we get here? Same question I would ask you if you've been there, or maybe you've dealt with something like this before. Maybe a family member in your life has dealt, like, dealt with something like this before. Here's the question. If that's you, how did you get here? How did you get to this place 
Maybe you were riding high, making some decisions. Maybe some things just started to spiral in your life, and you started to deal with something like this. How did you get here? At Downtown Harbor Church, before we even dive into this message, we say something about these issues around here that I think it's important to bring up and bring to the surface, especially if you're new around here. We recognize and believe that these issues are a part of culture and a part of people's lives. And we just want to say this. If you're sitting here today and you're struggling, maybe you know somebody who's struggling, maybe the person sitting next to you is struggling, maybe a family, whatever it looks like, we just want you to know this. It's okay to be this way. It's okay to allow these emotions, and I'm going to do this a lot in this message and kind of talk about this cycle, and I'll get to that in a second. But it's, a, it's okay to let this cycle kind of land on your shoulders and be a part of your life. We understand that many people have dealt with this. It's okay to be this way. It's just not okay to stay this way. It's okay to be this way. It's just not okay to stay this way. So what we do is we acknowledge that these issues in life exist, but what we want to do is lock arms with each other in this very unique community and help each other, come alongside each other, and help each other get better as we go through this. Because the truth is the scripture, as we research it and reference it, actually mentions Elijah's depression. But it didn't start there. It rarely just starts with depression. If you know anybody who's dealt with this or you've dealt with this, you know that depression is generally not the first thing. Because what we understand as we've learned about things in culture over the last number of years is that anxiety and depression go hand in hand. Now we're really striking a chord here, right? Now we're really getting to the core of this. So we talk about these things, anxiety and anxiety over the course of time can begin to do bad things to your life, can begin to spiral you in a direction you don't want to go. And sure enough, anxiety and depression can go hand in hand. But what about this? What about panic? Have you ever thought about panic? Because I don't know if you've ever had a panic attack, but I've had a panic attack before. I know a lot of people who've had a panic attack before. For me, it was years ago. And I started to ask myself, where did this come from? But what we've determined over the course of time is that these things kind of all go together in like a vicious circle. It's anxiety, panic, depression, anxiety, panic, depression. And what happens is, is over the course of time is these things keep happening in our lives. And what we do is we start to spiral out of control because we don't know what to do, who will talk to us, what we can do in our lives to get over it. And it becomes this mental health roller coaster. Been there? I bet you, if you were honest with yourself, you would probably say yeah. So if you, if you are taking out your phones at any point today, I know we were doing the QR code. I found one of these really cool charts that was on the internet as it was talking about um, anxiety and depression. I started to think about how did Elijah end up here? How did you end up here over the course of time? And so I really liked this thing. So take a look at it. If you want to take a picture of it, you can. Um, this is really interesting to talk about this kind of being in balance and this anxious thing over here, and we talk about these emotions that anxiety represents, restless, unstable, obsessed, stressed out, self-conscious. Know anybody like that? Maybe you're like that. And, and if we look at this depression side of things, right, we end up in depleted, numb, apathetic, alienated, isolated. Know anything about that? 
Know anybody like that? The truth is, we probably all do. And if we were to stare ourselves straight in the mirror, there might be some of us here today who are actually like that. So I started to think about this as I asked the question, how did Elijah get here? How did you get here if you're there? So we kind of put our heads together and we just said, hey, related to Elijah, there's four things that we think led to his depression. We think there are four things that led to his depression. And so sometimes it's important to understand how we got to a place so that we can understand what led us there. So not only we don't go there again, but we can help recover for the better. So number one, and by the way, I just want you to know, these are across the board. They're not just Elijah specific. They probably apply to you. And I know throughout my journey, which I'll share a little bit about at the end, they've applied to me. Number one, he focused on feelings, not facts. He focused on feelings, not facts. You ever done that? You ever focused on the way that you feel, which may or may not be real, versus what actually happened? Elijah felt like a failure because of one incident that frightened him. Jezebel wanted him dead. And then he sits and thinks to himself, I'm such a coward. Why am I running? I'm a, I'm a major prophet of the one true God. Why am I running? He felt like a failure because he assumed he was a failure. That's what started all this. In your situation, in your life, what led to you in that circumstance? What led to someone you know in that circumstance? I guarantee you we could probably sit down and figure it out because feelings are a massive part of it, not facts. Here's a question. What really happened? What really occurred? Is it the way that you feel or is it what really happened? And when you answer that question, Perhaps that cycle won't even begin anxiety, 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 panic, depression. Anxiety, 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 panic, depression. Focus on feelings, not facts. Number two, he compared himself to others. He compared himself to others. Man, how many times have you sat back and thought, man, most, man, if I could just be like him, if I could just be like her, I'd be so happy. But what you don't know is if you go over here and have your bag of problems sitting in this bag, and to be like him or be like her, you'd have to set your problems down and go pick up somebody else's bag of problems that you probably wouldn't want their problems either. Because their problems might be worse than yours or different than yours. But what happens is, is we compare ourselves to others. Go back to the scripture. He says, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. He goes, I'm no better than my ancestors. I'm not any better than those who came before me, comparing himself to others. I'm not any better than them, so God, just kill me. Just end it. Just take my life, take my existence. What would you do if you understood that comparison actually could lead to how awful that was? He compared himself to others. Number three, he took false blame. So, I was talking through the message this week with John. We do that every week at DHC just because content means so much to us at this organization. And I gave the next slide to him in a moment. And I said to him, I think this is really powerful. And he kind of laughed and rolled his eyes. And he said, you know, you should tell the people before you put the slide up on the screen that what we're about to put up on the screen might be the most powerful thing we've ever put up on the screen at Downtown Harbor Church. 
And I said, you're being sarcastic? And he said, no, tell them that. See what they think. So sure enough, I just want to let you guys know that what you're about to see might be one of the most mind-blowing things that you experience in your modern-day life right here in South Florida during spring break. Get ready. Buckle up because here we go. Here's what I want you to know because Elijah kind of took false blame. Here's what I do want you to know. Things that are not your fault are not your fault. Now, I mean, now there's a barn burner, right? Like that's, that's the, that, that'll really get you thinking. But think about it. Things that are not your fault are not your fault. And how often do we take blame for things that are not our fault? We take the weight of things that really had nothing to do with us on our shoulders. And we end up in this situation where we assume false blame for things. Things that are not your fault are not your fault because when you assume false responsibility or things, guess what happens? You start to get anxiety, 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 panic, depression, anxiety, 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 panic, depression over and over and over again. Things that are not your fault are not your fault. Stop taking blame for things that are not your fault. Don't do it. It doesn't help. It can lead you down a very bad path. And number four, which I think is the most important thing that we can talk about today and something that will really lead us in a direction to have a dialogue about the way that we think is this. He exaggerated the negative. Oh boy, did he exaggerate the negative. She's coming to kill me. She's coming after me. Yeah, but I mean, that may not happen. I mean, we're already thinking the most negative thing is going to happen. So I wanted to give you guys a couple of tips. In fact, so let's talk about this for a second. Let's talk about exaggerating the negative. In fact, we'll just throw this on the screen. Adam's three tips on exaggerating the negative, okay? I want to give you three tips on exaggerating the negative. And here's what I want you to know. Number one, this is really important for us to uh, understand like when we make a mistake or we mess up or we, we assume blame or whatever that looks like. This is what I want you to know about exaggerating the negative. No one thinks about you as much as you. We tend to obsess, oh, I wonder what they're thinking about me. Man, I really screwed up over here and I did this bad and I know they're thinking about me. I know they're talking about me. I know they're bashing me behind my back. Let me explain something to you. Nobody thinks about you as much as you. And what happens is, is when we start to think about ourselves and what others think about us, we end up thinking about these things again, fear, resentment, guilt, anger, loneliness, and worry. We start to go, I, uh, I wonder what they're thinking about me. They have to be thinking about me. They have to be obsessing over me and what I did. Let me explain something to you very carefully. People have a life, they have family, they have a job, they have bills, they have pets, they have homes to take care of. They are not interested in, in you as much as you think they're interested in you. And we have to realize that. Because when we're so bound up in what others are thinking of us, the exaggerating negative thoughts in our mind can explode. Anxiety, panic, depression, cycle. Number two, my second tip for exaggerating the negative. You ready? It isn't that bad. It's not that bad. I don't know what happened, but you know what? It's not that bad. And you want to know how I know that? Because I've seen people, myself included, deal with some pretty bad stuff. And you come back from it. You put one foot in front of the other. It's not that bad. You'll be fine. 
I know you'll be fine because Jesus Christ walked this, this earth and said, if you have faith in me, I will restore and redeem your life and making you a new creation at every moment, making all things new. If that's true, is it that bad? Probably not. But we start to think about it and exaggerate the negative. Anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. All of a sudden we panic and then we're in a depressive state under a tree asking God to kill us. Maybe a little extreme. Maybe not. Number two, it isn't that bad. And number three, this is something that my mom taught me when I was growing up that maybe wasn't the best thing, but I, I, it's just one of those things that I feel like I need to say to you because I think this would really just help us to understand how we exa exaggerate negative thoughts. Num so it's especially when something goes wrong. Here, here's number three, ready? You are not that special. Like, who do you think you are? Like, I mean, who are you? Who am I, right? Like, who's, who's sitting around thinking about me? Like, I don't, like, who are you? Like, am I doing things that people really care about and are going to have conversations about? I'm not that special. You are special to God. Let me just affirm that real quick. For anybody who goes out of here and says, hey, the guy in the striped shirt said I wasn't special today. God loves you. Jesus loves you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to save your life. All those things, right? But in general, like, you're not that special. You're not going to end up on the cover of Us Weekly. Like, let's move on. You're not, so let's just understand where we're at so we can help break the cycle. First Kings continues as Elijah is there and depressed wanting God to take his life. And here's what it says. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Scripture continues and says, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. I believe there's some practical truth here about God reaching down into Elijah's life, proving that he loved him and wasn't gonna let him live in this state. But one of the practical truths here is sometimes when we're in a mentally exhaustive state or we experience some of those anxiety and depression and panic things, oftentimes we don't need to kill ourselves. Sometimes we just need a sandwich. Go get yourself a sandwich. Go get yourself something to eat. You need your strength. You need your emotion back. So it says Elijah got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. And it said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I say that in my interpretation of the way that it was said. God, who is speaking to Elijah through his word, Elijah, a prophet, a major prophet of God, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah replied, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty, but the Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Pleading with God. Telling him, I have a case here, God. Don't you see all I've been through? Don't you see what I've been through mentally, emotionally? It's led to anxiety, and now maybe I'm even panicked, which is leading into a depressive state. 
a mental circle that we can't break and can't get out of. In this moment, I want to tell you exactly what was happening. I want to tell you what Elijah was experiencing because it's important for us to understand this as we see him interact with God. Elijah was experiencing a mental health struggle. Some of us are all too familiar with this, aren't we? Ourselves, people who we're close to, people we've seen from afar. See, in our society, mental health struggles used to be one of those things that made us different or odd. I believe we've come a long way in our society in terms of embracing these and accepting these. Remember what we said around here was it's so okay to be this way. It's just not okay to stay this way. See, mental health struggles are hard to embrace. Mental health struggles are one of those things that are really difficult to understand. What's wrong with me? I just started with some worry-filled thoughts. Doesn't everybody have worry-filled thoughts? How did I end up in the emergency room thinking that I was having a heart attack, but it was just panic, and now I'm in this depressive state? How did this happen? Mental health struggles sure are hard to embrace. I want to talk to you about them for a second and what we believe at Downtown Harbor Church. We believe, because we see it even through the scripture, with people dealing with it. We believe that mental health struggles are real, we believe they are valid, and we also believe that you matter. We believe that mental health struggles are real, we believe they are valid, and we also believe even further proof through the scripture, the holy scripture, that you matter. It's very hard for people to admit they have mental health issues. It's very hard for people to admit they have mental health issues. I get it. When I first started to struggle with anxiety, it was one of those things for me where it was so difficult to discuss. And by the way, I'll talk about some things, and if you ever want to have a personal conversation, I'd be happy to have it. But one of the things for me was I realized that in my own struggles years ago where I started to experience that circle, that I had to take the bull by the horns. And I will tell you to this day, ever since I made some of those very difficult decisions to get it right, that my anxiety probably went from a nine on a consistent basis down to a point three for the number of years that I've actually been living in that point three, and it's wonderful. But mental health issues are hard for people to admit because there's a stigmatism that goes along with them. How could this be happening to me? It's happened to Elijah, one of the major prophets of the Old Testament. It's very normal for it to happen to you. Here's one of the other things I've learned in this situation. I just want you to understand this, is that a lot of times when people know that they're experiencing mental health struggles or they get into a bad place of that cycle, one of the things they do is they go, I don't know how to treat this. I don't know what to do. So I'm just going to try to treat it myself. I don't even really know what that means, but I know that if I do this, it makes it a little better. Substance rarely helps these situations. Hear that loud and clear. Substance rarely helps these situations. I will tell you, I've never met someone who said, hey, the more that I drank, the more that I went on pills, the more that I did the things that I shouldn't do in terms of recreational substances, that my anxiety got better. My depression got better. Man, I had half a fifth of vodka, and what a time I had, and woke up the next day feeling fresh as a daisy. You ever met somebody like that? I don't care what they tell you over at the beach on spring break. That is bogus. Put them on, you know, they rarely help. 
In fact, they never help. Why did we choose to end Elijah's journey here with this idea of mental health and depression versus him being taken to heaven in the chariot of fire? Some of you might even be familiar with that if you've been around church for any length of time. There was one reason we chose to end this message series here. COVID-19. I don't care what you think of the pandemic. I don't care if you embraced it for years or if you went out of your house in May of 2020 when it opened back up. That is not what we're here to debate. But what we are here to debate is that there was a lot of people who struggled during this time because of the pandemic with mental health issues. I want to put this on the screen for a second so you can take a look at this. Now, this is from the Kentucky Fried Franks Fund. I don't like... I don't, that's a joke because I don't know where we got this, but I Googled it a, and then I was like, well, maybe it is true, but I think we, we did our research on it, but we really didn't know where we got it at first, but it looks nice, so we put it up on the screen. No. What we found was, is that within a two-year span between January 19 and January 21, here in 19, there was 11% of adults reporting symptoms of anxiety disorder and depressive disorder, but two years later, post-pandemic, in the middle of the pandemic, that number shot up to 41%. That's why we're talking about this because there's a lot of you dealing with it right now. That's why we're talking about this because there's a lot of people you know dealing with it right now. And here's the truth, we have no idea what to do. I, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to fix this, I don't know how to get out of this. If a, it, it, and, and sure enough, people in the Bible are struggling with it. I, uh, what am I gonna do? Even God's chosen were not exempt from mental health struggles. They weren't. They're real. They exist. So now what? Now that we know that that anxiety, panic, depressive thing is real and it's a cycle and it can lead to not good things, you don't want to end up under a tree asking God to kill you. And here's the truth. Some of you, some of us have been there. I don't want to go back there. What do I do? I think it's first important to understand where God is in all this. Going back to the scripture, the Lord said to him right after this, go back the way you came. and Go to the desert of Damascus. Elijah, when you get there, anoint King Hazel, anoint Hazel king over Aram. You can read a lot of things from this, but you want to know the one thing I read? Even after Elijah dealt with what he dealt with, an angel spoke to him. God's uh, still small voice actually passed him twice, the scripture says. Here's what I want, I want you to know. God didn't give up on him. Just because he struggled, God, God, God didn't give up on them or on Elijah. He wanted to come alongside of him and help him. Elijah, get yourself a sandwich, pick yourself back up, and even so you've dealt with this, I'm not gonna give up on you. I'm gonna continue to use you. Go anoint a new king. So what about you? Where are you today? And by the way, let me just put in parentheses, for some of you who might be here, this might be a really hard moment, a really hard point in your history as a human being to figure out, what do I do now? I haven't ever told anybody about this. I haven't ever embraced this. What do I do? Maybe you're not there today, but you know somebody. You know somebody who's dealing with this, or maybe you're not there today, but you will be there someday. 
So what's the practical? Every week at Downtown Harbor Church, we put this word on the screen because we put this word on the screen because we want you to hear a message on Sunday and know exactly what to do with it when you leave on Monday. The first thing is this. As mental health normalizes, as mental health struggles just become okay, even though it's not okay to stay that way. I just want to encourage you this. If you are struggling with mental health, get some help. It's very difficult to do it on your own. Elijah didn't do it on his own. God sent him angels to make him a sandwich. Say, get back up. So what can you do? Number one, if you've not participated in the prayer project yet uh, that John talked about last week, by the way, there were some amazing things that were prayed for last week, but reach out to DHC, okay? And you can do that via the prayer request. If you're struggling and you need help, we want to know about it. You can do it anonymously or you can put your name. We don't care. We just feel like it's about you, not about us helping at that moment. It's about taking the first step because there are people that we can recommend at that point that you can connect with. Maybe you can connect with someone here. Maybe you don't need a counselor or a professional. Maybe you just need a person. We can do that. That's why God put us here in this city, in this community, to lock arms with each other to help. So as Christina talked about earlier, you can get to our website, soulflowchurch.com prayer. Go ahead, go there, talk to somebody if you want to. Reach out to DHC. Number, number two, you can take care of your physical needs. Get yourself something to eat if you're struggling. Somebody came up to me after the first service. And I will never forget this as long as I live. This was this person's way of telling me they were in the middle of a struggle. They put their arm on my shoulder and they just said, thank you, I'm going to get a sandwich. And I said, wow, maybe that's all you need to do. I don't know what that looks like for you, but you do. And I just remember when the pandemic first started that I was having trouble just like staying active and, and putting one foot in front of the other and eating and getting up and showering and putting on a pair of clothes, like pants, like that didn't sound right. I wasn't like, I mean, I was dressed. I'll probably get higher about that one afterward. But anyway, it was just one of those things where we had to take care of our physical needs and, and we have to do that to break the cycle. Anxiety, 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 panic, panic, depression, depression, break it. Lastly, it's this, is don't do this alone. There are a lot of people in this church. I read through prayer requests last week. There are a lot of people in this church that are one enemy whisper away in their ear from losing it because they're in the cycle. That's why we're talking about this today. Don't do this alone. Maybe you need to not only reach out to someone via the prayer request thing or on our website, or you just need to tell somebody. Maybe in a blue land, you're one of those volunteers who are standing out there. You see me, you see anybody on the stage, you say, I, I just, I, I need somebody. I'm struggling, I'm, I'm close to the ledge, and I didn't even know I was close to the ledge. Don't do this alone. That's why we're here. That's why we do this. That's why we lock arms with each other. Don't do this alone. And then lastly, make sure to come back next week. Here's why. Next week, we're gonna start a series for a number of weeks leading into Easter. And that series is all about bringing happiness and joy back into our lives, specifically in this season. How nice of our lead pastor, John Garippa, to leave town allowing me to talk about depression while he talks about joy next Sunday. 
Anyway. Next week's going to be a really powerful day as we move toward a season in our church and in our community where we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So be back next week. Gang mental health, proven to be a struggle of the major prophet of Elijah, is alive and well. The struggle of mental health is alive and well. If you hear nothing else, hear me say this before I pray. It's okay to be this way. It's just not okay to stay this way. Let me pray for us. Father, for who you are, God, we're so thankful. I just pray very powerfully and quickly here today as we close our service that you would be present and alive and real for anybody dealing with these kinds of issues here today. God, would your spirit land on their life? Would you invade their heart? Would you invade their mind as they uh, embrace this and understand what they're dealing with? God, help them to begin a journey of recovery, to break the anxiety, panic, depression, vicious cycle, which can ruin us. God, none of us want to end up like Elijah, under a tree asking you to take our lives. So instead, we ask that you would intervene now in our lives. May the Spirit of God come down and fill this place so that we could begin the process of healing, of restoration, and redemption through your Son, Jesus. We're so thankful. We'll be so quick to give you the glory. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.